Welcome to Dharma Conversations, where each week we explore topics to better understand ourselves, the world around us, and our place in it. We hope these conversations create wellsprings of reflection and insight in your own life and practice, and we look forward to you joining us in the conversation. Today we're going to be discussing the first teaching the Buddha gave after his awakening, in which he presented the Four Noble Truths and the Path of the Middle Way. It is commonly accepted that the Four Noble Truths form the foundation or the framework for understanding all of the Buddha's teachings. If we understand the Four Noble Truths, then we are able to study or practice any of the Buddha's teachings and know how they relate to the path. Many people in the West have heard of these Four Noble Truths. And obviously, if you're Buddhist, you know what the Four Noble Truths are. If you were to ask any Buddhist what the Four Noble Truths were, they would likely say the truth of suffering, the truth of the origin of suffering, the truth of the cessation of suffering, and the truth of the path that leads to cessation. And of course, this is correct. This is how the Four Noble Truths are commonly presented. But it doesn't convey the depth of the Buddha's actual teaching on the Four Noble Truths which it gave upon achieving awakening or enlightenment. So today I hope to present the first teaching of the Buddha and really understand the implications of these Four Noble Truths and how they relate to our own practice and to our own life. So first off, I want to mention that there are many different versions of this first teaching by the Buddha. The Pali version, which is what forms the basis of the Theravadan tradition, can be found in the Samyutta Nikaya, or the Connected Discourses of the Buddha. And the Tibetan versions include a couple different examples. One of these is the Lalita Vistara, or the Plate in Full, which is the Mahayana account of the Buddha's journey to awakening. In Tibetan, there's also two other versions, both of which have been translated by Eric Tsiknopoulos, Uh, one of which he has called the Pravartana version, which is actually very similar to the Pali versions. And then another which he has translated as the missing translator's colophone, since it doesn't recount who translated the text uh, from the original Sanskrit. So all of these different translations are actually very similar, um, and yet all of them have variations, signifying that even though we consider this to be the original teaching of the Buddha, it invariably went through uh, various changes over the past 2,000 years. Today I'm primarily going to be using the Pali version translated by Bhikkhu Bodhi and the Lalita Vistara translation of the 84,000 project, which I personally think is, is a better translation in certain areas of the text. Um, and I'll link to both of these in the show notes just so you can reference them on your own and compare any differences between the two translations. So first off, the title of this teaching is the Dharma Chakra Parvatana, which is translated as setting in motion the wheel of Dharma. In this sutra, the Buddha starts the teaching by saying that there are two extremes that should be avoided by one who travels this path. The extreme of self-indulgence and the extreme of self-mortification. He states that self-indulgence is a shallow and worldly way to live your life, 
and that it doesn't lead to real benefit. Self-mortification, on the other hand, and in the Western context, we could equate this more with you know, working ourselves to death or beating oneself up, also leads to a painful existence and doesn't lead to real benefit. So we find the Buddha making this statement in the beginning of the sutra. Monks, the Tathagata teaches the Dharma by way of showing the middle way that does not fall into either of these extremes. The Dharma that he teaches is the Eightfold Path. That is one of correct view, intention, speech, action, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. So at the very beginning of this teaching, the Buddha is highlighting the importance of the path, the middle way free from extremes. I think we can see these extremes in our own life. There are times when we are constantly chasing after things, living this life of consumption and indulgence. At those times, whatever we are consuming doesn't give us more than a moment's satisfaction before we are off to the next thing. We are caught in this never-ending cycle of consumption and chasing after good feelings and experiences. And then the opposite happens, and we get into these ruts where we are constantly degrading ourselves and chastising ourselves for our actions. We have this negative self-talk and this deep sense of self-hatred and even self-loathing. That too becomes this cycle that's really hard to break free from. Even though we know it brings us a lot of pain and discontentment, we can't break out of that cycle of self-torment and self-mortification. The Buddha's presenting the path between these extremes, what he calls the middle way path. And that path here is presented as the eightfold path. That is the path that the Buddha is encouraging us to travel, setting us on our own journey of self-discovery and awakening. And this is kind of connected to the title of this sutra, which is setting in motion the wheel of Dharma. So this is what we mean by setting in motion. We're setting in motion this path to awakening through this teaching, through this Dharma. Having stated that his teaching is the middle way free from extremes, the Buddha then goes on to present the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, which he does in three different phases. First, he introduces the truth, or he defines the truth. Second, he shows us how we are to approach that truth and how we are to bring that truth into our own life. And then finally, he presents the result of doing so. In this way, the Four Noble Truths become instructions for practice. In the actual text, he walks through each of these three phases separately. But I think it's going to be easier for our discussion today if we go through them all at the same time uh, and just work through each of the Four Noble Truths from start to finish. So a condensed version of the Buddhist teachings on these Four Noble Truths and their three phases would be as follows. First, this is the truth of Dukkha. Dukkha is to be understood. Dukkha has been completely understood. Second, this is the truth of the origin. The origin is to be released or let go of. The origin has been let go of or abandoned. Third, this is the truth of cessation. Cessation is to be beheld. Cessation has been beheld, or we could say cessation has been actualized. Fourth, this is the truth of the path. 
The path is to be practiced. The path has been practiced. And so we can see how much this presentation of the Furnable Truths differs from the way that we typically describe the Furnable Truths, as we mentioned in the beginning of the episode, where we think of the Furnable Truths as, as simply the truth of suffering, the truth of the origin of suffering, the truth of the cessation of suffering, and the truth of the path that leads to cessation. So the actual text conveys much more meaning and actually becomes immediately useful to our current experience. The Buddha is saying right now, as you currently are, understand your suffering. Let go of your craving, ignorance, and aversion. Behold the state of cessation. Practice the path of the middle way free from extremes. In this way, the Four Noble Truths become a very practical way of engaging with the teachings in our own life, just as it is. He gives us a starting point for which to connect with the wisdom of the Dharma from our very own seat. In this way, his teaching is very pragmatic and reason-based. It is actually a very systematic and methodical way to live our life and to lead a life that is in harmony with the world around us and with a posture of kindness and compassion as we move through the world. So let's dig into each of these four truths a little bit deeper so that we can really flesh out the full meaning of these Four Noble Truths. So first we have the truth of Dukkha. And as we stated early, the, the Buddha says that Dukkha is to be understood. This is what he actually says about the truth of Dukkha or the truth of suffering. This is the truth of suffering. Birth is suffering. Aging is suffering. Sickness is suffering. Death is suffering. Meeting with what is displeasing is suffering. Separation from what is pleasing is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. In short, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. So first I want to parse this word that we often find translated as suffering. The Sanskrit is dukkha, which can be translated as suffering, but it means unsatisfactory or even unease. It is clear from the Buddha's definition of dukkha given here that the term dukkha invokes a much larger meaning than what we normally ascribe to suffering. Traditionally, there are three types of dukkha. So the first is the dukkha of suffering, which is what we normally consider to be suffering. So that's physical or emotional pain, loss of a loved one, uh, physical sickness or disease. The second form of dukkha is the dukkha of change, which is like what the Buddha describes here as parting from what is pleasurable. So an example here being that, you know, we buy a new car and in a few years this car becomes a huge hassle and starts to break down and we simply want to get rid of it. So while initially there was, you know, some joy and satisfaction from this, uh, from this experience or this thing, uh, eventually it becomes this uh, source of dissatisfaction and a source of suffering for us. And the third form of dukkha is the dukkha of conditioned existence, which is here described by the Buddha as the suffering of the five aggregates, which form the basis of our experience of conditioned existence. The meaning here is that all things, because they are conditioned, they are impermanent in nature, and so therefore all of them 
by their own nature cannot be reliable sources of happiness or pleasure that this impermanence of conditioned existence is by its own nature the basis of dissatisfaction and suffering so dukkha or suffering is really to be understood as the suffering or dissatisfaction that is inherent to the human condition and all that it entails we should try to cultivate this wider sense of the truth of dukkha here's maybe the main point of this first truth that the pain and suffering of the human condition isn't supposed to be rejected we aren't supposed to be frustrated and at odds against ourselves over our suffering our suffering is to be understood we should have this tenderness and this openness to our suffering to understand is to regain a sense of dignity amidst our suffering we no longer need to reject our experience and in fact we are called to fully take on our experience and bring it onto the path so for many of us this can be the first time that we actually open up to the present moment to our present condition just as it is this might be the first time that we aren't chasing after desires or at odds against ourselves simply sitting with this understanding of the dissatisfaction of the human condition this is what it means to understand the truth of dukkha now let's take a look at the at the second noble truth which is the truth of the origin so remember that the buddha said that the truth of the origin is to be let go of so let's look at the truth of the origin itself so this is how the buddha describes the truth of the origin in the text that is all that which constitutes the arising of craving fixation on pleasure and enthrallment with this or that namely the craving of attachment the craving of existence and the craving for separation from existence and instead of saying craving for existence or non-existence we could also uh perhaps translate this as uh craving for it is or it is not so here the buddha is addressing this question of what gives rise to dukkha what are the causes or the origins which perpetuate this cycle of dissatisfaction the buddha identifies the origin of suffering as craving which we can also translate as thirst or even yearning so we crave for pleasurable experiences and we crave to be free from unpleasurable experiences we have attachment or aversion to our experience and this reaction to our experience actually perpetuates the cycle of dukkha or the cycle of suffering in order to really appreciate this topic it is helpful to understand dependent origination which i hope to cover in a lot more detail in another episode but today for the sake of our discussion it's sufficient that we say that the three poisons of attachment aversion and ignorance are the truth of the origin so attachment signifies craving for what is pleasurable aversion signifies craving to be free from what is unpleasurable and ignorance is the craving for existence or becoming the instruction the buddha gave is to let go of the origin so we need to let go of attachment aversion and ignorance we need to notice ourselves grasping to positive experiences or pushing away negative experiences we need to let go of those reactions to what's coming up in our life or in our meditation of course this isn't easy 
we've been conditioned since beginningless time to react to our experience. So to break free from this cycle is going to require a lot of training and effort. But the key point is that first we need to recognize what it is that we have to let go of. We need to let go of our reactivity to the world. We need to let go of our craving and aversion. We need to let go of our rigid notions of how we think things are. We need to let go of our clinging to our perceptions of self and other as fixed and distinct. This instruction becomes very practical. Like the instruction to understand the truth of dukkha, when we sit down to meditate, first we have to come to terms with our present condition, and then we are told to let go of our reactions to our experience, let go of our fixation, let go of what we think is good or bad or neutral, let go of holding on to what is coming up in our meditation or pushing it away and trying to escape. If we are having some blissful experience in meditation, we don't hold on to that. If we are experiencing some pain or discomfort in our body, we don't reject that experience or pain. We actually let go of the aversion to that experience. The practice becomes more a way of opening up to our experience and moving through what is coming up rather than a reactive state where we are constantly judging the momentary feelings of our experience. So this is how we are to let go of the truth of the origin. Now we come to the truth of cessation and the instruction that cessation is to be beheld. So first the Buddha defines the truth of cessation. This is the noble truth of cessation. It is the remainderless fading away and cessation of that same craving, the giving up and relinquishing of it, freedom from it, non-reliance on it. So the state of cessation is the resultant state after we have let go or abandoned the three poisons. The Buddha says that this state of cessation is to be beheld or seen. The Tibetan word here is monduja, which means to realize or see or even actualize. In the sutras, the Buddha doesn't actually say much about what is to be realized or seen in this state of cessation. We can connect a few of the different sutras together to get a better picture from the sutric perspective. But in order to really grasp the significance of the state of cessation, we need to turn to the teachings on the Tathagatagarbha, or Buddha nature, or the Buddha heart, which comprise the third turning of the Wheel of Dharma. In the next few episodes, I hope to make this more clear, and I want to introduce how the Vajrayana and practices like Dzogchen are connected to the Four Noble Truths through this truth of cessation, and how we can recognize the abiding reality of that state. In the Pali Canon, most of the account of the state of cessation is made by way of negation, with the common formula that it is free from attachment, aversion, and ignorance. There are few sutras that reveal more clearly what it is that we are to realize or behold in the state of cessation. In the Samyutta Nikaya, in the sutra called the Noble Search, the Buddha says, This Dharma that I have attained is profound hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. And this is also pretty synonymous with what we find in the Mahayana Sutra presentation of the Buddha's awakening in the Lalita Vistara Sutra where it says, profound, peaceful, stainless, 
lucid and unconditioned. Such is the nectar-like truth that I have realized. So it is important to realize here that the state of cessation or nirvana is not a state of nothingness, but rather it is a state free from attachment, aversion, and ignorance. When we actualize or perceive this realization of the state of cessation, our life doesn't stop, but rather we experience the world free from reactivity and the confusion of dualistic perception. There's a fundamental shift in the way that we perceive the world and conceive of the self. Whereas before we conceived of the self as truly existing and separate from the world around us, now we realize the selflessness of the individual and the interconnected nature of the world around us. Rather than experiencing the world through this lens of confusion and reactivity, we experience the world with an eye of wisdom that sees that everything is connected and interdependent. In this state, the tendency to reify the subjective self is experienced as the very birth of confusion. For we are moving from this vast interconnected matrix that is the reality of dependent origination to this very segmented and disconnected perception of self and phenomena. These teachings on the truth of cessation really come down to understanding the mind and distinguishing between the abiding nature of the mind and what we normally experience as our ordinary mind, which is the mind that reifies this subjective experience. So there's a lot we could go into about this discussion of the mind, but for now we will say that in the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha is saying that the truth of cessation is to be clearly realized or beheld. In the first turning of the Wheel of Dharma, we don't find any teachings on things like the three kayas or the three Buddha bodies that reveal the resultant state that is the truth of cessation. We do find an extensive explanation of this in Maitreya's Uttar Tantra, or the treatise on Buddha nature, which introduces us to the three kayas and how these are connected to the nature of our own mind. And like I said earlier, I hope to go into this in more detail in another episode, uh, but for now, hopefully this just plants a seed for understanding that teaching on Buddha nature. So the final noble truth, then, is the truth of the path, which the Buddha says is to be practiced. Here, from the perspective of the Hinayana, or common Buddhist traditions, the path is presented as the noble eightfold path. The Mahayana presentation of the path is according to the six paramitas, or six perfections. These two actually overlap, and there isn't a contradiction between the two presentations, the important point here is that the path is to be practiced. So there are a lot of questions that we could address regarding the practice of the path. It is important to note that from the Hinayana perspective, the path is a causal factor for the realization of the truth of cessation. The causal vehicles maintain this position that the resultant state is causally produced, that the path gives rise to cessation. But there's some question of whether this can really be the case. We can even go back to the quote that I mentioned earlier uh, that the Buddha gave upon his awakening, where he says, Profound, peaceful, stainless, lucid, and unconditioned. So we can ask a question, how can the truth of cessation be conditioned by the path when the realization itself is unconditioned? And I don't want to create a lot of confusion around this point, but I think it's worth pointing out. The common sutra presentation is that the truth of the origin causes the truth of suffering, and that the truth of the path 
causes the truth of cessation. Of course, there are a lot of references in the sutras themselves that justify this position. But if we look at the first teaching of the Buddha on the Four Noble Truths, we can also take a slightly different approach that is very straightforward. Understand dukkha, the truth of suffering. Let go of the arising of attachment, aversion, and ignorance. Behold the truth of cessation. Practice the path. In this way, as we approach the truth of cessation through our practice, we can more fully practice the path in an integrated way. We can move through the Four Noble Truths as instructions for practice, rather than some kind of ontological study about how suffering exists and how we should get rid of suffering. Again, this connects with the way the Buddha opened up this teaching, saying, Monks, the Tathagata teaches the Dharma by showing the middle way that does not fall into either of two extremes. The Buddha is encouraging us to live a life dedicated to practice. He does so by asking us to embrace the human condition, to let go of reactivity and ignorance, to behold the resultant state of cessation, and to practice the path of the middle way. The last thing I want to cover today is this interaction that occurs at the end of the sutra between the Buddha and one of his five disciples named Kundana. I think it's important to know some of the background leading up to this first teaching to give us some context for this dialogue that takes place between them. Earlier, I mentioned this quote by the Buddha upon attaining awakening. And the text actually goes on to reveal the Buddha's hesitation to actually teach the Dharma that he had just realized. So I'll read the, I'll read the whole quote just to give you some context and to give you the full picture. This Dharma that I have attained is profound, hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle, to be experienced by the wise. But this generation delights in worldliness, takes delight in worldliness, rejoices in worldliness. It is hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely, specific conditionality, dependent origination. And it is hard to see this truth, namely, the stilling of all formations, the relinquishing of all acquisitions, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nirvana. If I were to teach the Dharma, others would not understand me, and that would be wearying and troublesome for me. So the Buddha explicitly mentions that his hesitation to teach the Dharma is that people of this generation would not be able to understand dependent origination or to behold the state of cessation in their own experience. That is what is holding him back from teaching. That is what he needed to figure out how to communicate so that others could understand and realize this profound Dharma themselves. So at the end of the teaching on the first turning of the wheel of Dharma, the disciple Kondana says to the Buddha, All Dharmas that are subject to arising are subject to cessation. And the Buddha's response was, Kondana has understood. Kondana is one who understands it all. Through the Buddha's teachings on the Four Noble Truths, Kundana was able to realize the truth of conditionality, or dependent origination. He understood that what arises, the truth of the origin, is subject to cessation, the truth of cessation. Kundana is one who sees. His Dharma eye opened, the truth of cessation becomes clearly visible before him, and he becomes a stream enter dedicated to the practice of the middle way. In this way, he has no doubt about the Buddha's teachings 
and there was confidence in the path forward. Kundan understanding the teaching didn't mean that his suffering stopped forever, but that he saw the truth of dependent origination. He saw that everything is interconnected. That is the opening of the Dharma eye. The Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths as a systematic and pragmatic way to bring out the realization of dependent origination. The path starts with understanding your suffering and the complexity of the human condition. The teaching is not to escape our present condition or to free ourselves from the human condition as if that's even possible, but rather to be fully human and live in a balanced way. We don't attain some faraway state like a Buddha field in some other realm. Rather, we learn how to walk on this very ground with genuine presence, compassion, and understanding. So I hope that you can see how this teaching on the Four Noble Truths forms the foundation or the framework for understanding all of the Buddhist teachings. Indeed, all of the teachings of the first turning of the wheel of Dharma extend and connect to these Four Noble Truths. The teachings on the second turning of the wheel of Dharma dig deeper into the truth of the origin and truth of cessation in much greater detail. Here we find extensive explanation on dependent origination and the teachings on emptiness as presented in the Mahayana tradition. The teachings of the third turning of the wheel introduce us to the abiding nature of the truth of cessation and open up the doorway to the resultant vehicles of the Vajrayana, including practices like the Buddhist Tantras, Mahamudra, and Dzogchen. The important point is that all of these teaching traditions are instructions for practice. They are teachings that we can sit down with and start using in our own meditation. They are not far removed from our own experience, but actually connect with our very humanity and the world around us. They don't require that we believe anything before we get started. They simply ask us to look into our own life, into our own mind, and ask us to free ourselves from our own fixation and bondage. So before we wrap up today, I'd like to share one more quote from the Dhammapada that points out this work that we are to do. This is from the chapter on the wise. Farmers direct the flow of water. Aerosmiths straighten the arrow shaft. Carpenters fashion wood. And the wise work on themselves. Thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions, please click on the link in the show notes. I'll be adding all the references I mentioned today in the show notes. And please tune in to upcoming episodes where we will continue to dive deeper into these teachings and shift our focus to the teachings of the Mahayana including a look at Buddha nature and Dzogchen. Thank you.